0: I'm really excited uh, for the topic that's at hand today. I've been started going through the attributes of God. And uh, the last time that uh, I taught, I taught on the omniscience of God. And today we'll be talking about the omnipresence of God. Um, It's such a task. So I want to say this before I pray, before I get started. You can study the attributes of God out. You can read a lot of information, a lot of good quotes, and you can put all these notes down. And then right as you're thinking you're putting the finishing touches on it, there's a multitude of things that you didn't even think of. And So with that being said, I just have to trust that this is where the Lord is taking us today. And what, and what I'm getting at is there's a lot of things that could be said i could not exhaust any of the attributes of god so just keep that in mind as as we go through this today would you bow your heads with me father we just want to come before you and thank you god for today um for this morning lord that we can come and and freely god just come and and worship you lord um, God, how I, how I I wish that we treasured just the the, the coming together as a, as a as a church body. Just the fact that we carry Bibles in here freely, uh, with with no fear of being persecuted for that. We, these are things that we no doubt take for granted. But God, let us let us hunger and desire for truth, for righteousness. For you, God, that we may be made more and more like Jesus Christ in this life. Father, I just want to thank you today for all that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God is omnipresent. In Isaiah 46... uh, Verses 5 through 9. I'm not going to read all that. I've got a little part of a verse here that I want to read. And it says, Who can be compared or like God? This is kind of a paraphrase. Who, who is his equal? There is none like God. And just think about this thought. Out of all the, the ideas, the imaginations of men... In, in all of their ideas of making false gods to be worshipped, which god has ever possessed all knowledge, is all present, or has all power? There, out of all the imaginations of men, there's never been one that can be compared to God. Uh, through the centuries, men have created gods and godlike men, haven't they? We look in uh, Greece and Rome and uh, Norway. These places, um, people have worshipped these idols. It, it, gods, false gods, little g gods, such as Zeus. Names like Odin of the Norse religion. Uh, God men like Hercules or Thor. I mean, we, see, we make movies about him today, Right? We, you know, and a lot of you, a lot of us, we used to read comic books when we were growing up, and we'd all argue who the strongest was, and we see these movies, and we had these little goofy debates, don't we? Well, even in our time, we, we have, you know, superheroes. You've got your Marvel side of things, you've got your DC side of things. Only comic big people know what I'm talking about. You have Captain America, Iron Man, the Avengers, Hulk, Batman, Superman, Flash, and, and each one is is has got like incredible qualities about them. And although they each have their superhuman abilities, none can compare to God. Now, when I was a kid growing up, there was a, a Saturday morning. It wasn't a cartoon, it was real life people. And there was a, a program on TV, and it was called Shazam. Anybody remember that one? Okay. Well, what I like about Shazam, the guy's real name was Captain Marvel. And uh, personally, I've always liked him better than Superman, but that's just me. I'm in the minority there. But what I liked about him was his name was an acronym for his attributes. And y'all may not know that, so I'll just enlighten you today, but When you spell out Shazam, he starts when he has Solomon's wisdom. I mean, if you're going to create a guy, you want him to be smart, right? So Shazam, Captain Marvel, had the wisdom of Solomon. He had Hercules' strength. He had Atlas' stamina. He had the power of Zeus. He had the courage of Achilles. And he had the speed of Mercury. I mean, he pretty much has it covered, right? He's smart, strong, has endurance, courage, Power, I mean, you name it, and this guy, it's all in one package, right? Now, basically, this is a Greek superhero with a little bit of the Bible in there. But all of that put together can't be compared to God, can it? And and even though, you know, through the years, comic book people have tried to make their guys, you know, to where they can do more and more and more, hey, Superman can only be, you know, maybe one place at a time, Right? I mean, he's not all present, is he? And as smart as all the superheroes are, they always have to go back to the Batcave or talk to Jarvis or whatever it is to get some information, right? They acquired a lot faster than the normal person, but still, yeah, they're not all-knowing, are they? And funny as it is, as strong as Superman and those guys are, they seem to always struggle in a fight. And even Superman's even died a couple times, figure that one, so... My point is this in all of men's attempts to create gods, there's none that can be compared to our God. Now, when we started the attributes of God, we looked at, at God the infinity of God and the immutability of God, and that's what began our study of God's attributes. Now it's important to understand that in God's infinity, and what that really means is God has no boundaries or no limits. Um, in his attributes and in in his person. And his immutability teaches us that everything that God is will not change. So there's never a time that God's limitless, his infinity, that's never going to change. He's always going to be all-knowing. He's going to be all-present. He's going to be all-powerful. He's always going to be that. He's always been and always will be. So when we look at the, the three attributes that start with omni, it is important to know that God is described without limitations in all of his attributes. And today we're going to take a, try to take a good look at God's omnipresence. So we just start with the definition. Omni means all, and presence, presence. God is all present. And what that means is God is fully present everywhere at all time. And you need to understand that. You need to really wrap your mind around that today, that God is fully present everywhere at all time. I think sometimes we, we think of God as being spread out everywhere and that there's a portion of God everywhere. And and there's a part of God here in Eight Oklahoma, in this building this morning, and there's a part of God somewhere over in Israel and somewhere in Russia no everything that God is in all of his attributes and all of his being God is fully present everywhere all the time he is in his fullness everywhere at all time now now one thing I want to make I want to point out here in this and this there's a heresy called pantheism okay And what it teaches is that God is all things. I mean, have you ever ran across that spiritual person on the streets? And they're like, I see God everywhere. I see God. He's that tree. He's that dog's walking by. There's God there. And it's like, no, God is not a tree. God is not a dog. God created trees, and God created dogs. And while God is present everywhere, he is not his creation. God is the creator. Now, here's one that really stretched my mind, and I'll get into it in a moment, but God's omnipresent transcends time and space. When you apply infinity to time, you have eternal, and when you apply infinity to space, you have omnipresence, and so, like I, when we begin this, the study of the attributes, so often... You know, you look at one one guy's writings on him, and he'll talk about he'll give certain names, and another guy will give it different names, and, and 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 they really are kind of the same thing. It's just kind of a different angle of looking at it, and that just goes back to saying that there's really no way that we could ever exhaust the attributes of God in our understanding. We we I could go over this next week and come up probably with so, everything new that we didn't discuss today. But I want to talk first this morning that God transcends, transcends time. Now, this is the one. I'm, I don't know how much time I'll spend here, but this is the one that when I you know I called a couple people, I just started asking them, you know, have you ever thought about this? Because in some of the commentaries I read, they didn't really cover it under the omnipresence of God. It was usually covered under, under that God is eternal, which is kind of what we're looking at here. But in Psalms 90, verse 2, listen to what it says. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, church, when we think of everlasting, how do we think of that? When we think of You've been given eternal life. We have a starting point with, with eternal life, don't we? I once was dead, now I'm alive. From this point on, I have eternal life, right? I mean, we, we we have a time where we can say, this is when I was born or whatever. And we can think of eternity going forward, but how in the world do we wrap our mind around that God is from everlasting to everlasting? Um. I mean, just look at the definition of eternity. It's infinite time. It's duration without beginning or end. And I wrote a note at the end of that, and it says, Selah. Let's pause and meditate on that for a moment. I mean, God has no, He is not, um, He is the cause of all things. God is, 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 He's not, He never came into being, He has always been. So what does this mean? Listen. Grudem gives this definition like this. He says, God has no beginning, end, or succession of moments in all his own being. And he sees all time, listen, past, present, and future equally the same, yet God sets forth events in time and acts in time. Now listen, God is outside of time. He created time in the Bible when it says in the beginning, that's when time as we know it began. But God's not bound in time. He's not limited by time like we are. We start at a certain time. We're going to get tired at a certain time. We're going to leave. But God's not in that. But yet, and if you remember this, our God is infinite, meaning he is so far beyond us, we can't comprehend it. But yet God is personal personal. God is outside of time, and yet God deals with his creation. He deals with you in time. There are certain times, just like when Jesus was, was going from Jerusalem to Galilee, and he said, I need to go through Samaria. It's, it's, it's not Chronos time, it's Kairos time. Which is, it's special time. God had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman that day, and so even though, even though our God isn't bound to it, He operates in it. I'm am sorry, Church. I, I this stuff just starts just when I start thinking on this. I'm 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 on I mean I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed at at our God and there's nothing there's no one that can compare it to him. In Isaiah 46:10, I'm going to read the last little part of that verse. It says that our God declares the end from the beginning. Now listen, when we think of declaring the end from the beginning, this is the way I always picture it. I mean, I, and I know it's it's a wrong way to do it, but it's just the way my mind works. I usually picture God in eternity, and He's looking ahead in time. And just to be honest, none of these words really apply in God's realm. This is the way I got to explain it to you that I can understand it. But God's looking ahead in time, and He sees everything from afar off. And listen. And God knows, I mean, you've heard this quoted so many times, that God knows the end from the beginning. You'll not find that in Scripture. What you will find is that God has declared, God is declaring the end from the beginning. It's one thing to know it, it's a different thing to declare it. Now, what I want you to understand is this. If God's knowledge is in the end, then God's presence is in the end. God is the creator of time, therefore he is not bound by time. God's omnipresent transcends time. Now listen, we are always bound to the present, aren't we? I mean, I I can't live in the past, I can't get in the future, I'm just right here. But but, But we can think about the past. We have history books, we have, you know, old family photos when we were kids, and there's even pictures of, you know, people, I mean... You know, how how do we know what Charles Spurgeon looks like? Because somebody drew a picture or painted a picture or or whatever it was in them days. We have videos today of, you know, recent past. But we can't physically go there. We can't actually be there. And we can also, um, when we think about in the future, we can read about it and primarily from Scripture. And we can be told about it primarily from Scripture and prophecy. And then some people can just have assumptions. Based on this, we feel like, you know, in this time in 2017, folks, in the 60s, we were supposed to have flying cars. Okay, that's just where we were supposed to be. So apparently we're running behind schedule. So people can try to predict it in a way like that. But but the truth is we are bound to the present. But here's the thing. God is present in all of time. Now, that's the thought that just kept... I mean, I, I've made several calls. i talked to people. I said, how do I comprehend that one? How do I understand that one? That as much as God is present right now, he's as he's present in the past and the future. Listen to what Charles Hodge said. He says, with him, meaning God, there's no distinction between the past... I mean, the present, past, and future... But all things are equally and always present to him. With him, duration is an eternal now. End quote. With him, duration, moving along, is an eternal now. I mean, you wonder sometimes about the past, how things happen. God knows it, not only in his omniscience, but he knows it because he's there he knows it fully, automatically, exhaustively. He knows every motive, thought, intention, you name it. God knows every bit of it. And matter of fact, He knows the future equally as well. Why do I, I mean, how is that true? Here's the only thing I can tell you because God is God and there's none that can compare to Him. Now, I want to ask you something. When I first started, I, I told you, I gave you a warning. As we go through the Scriptures and we look at the attributes of God, there's there's the potential that you may not like the God of Scripture. Because you know why? Because unlike somebody writing in a comic book or somebody telling legends of, well, how does the earth float in space? Well, the God's punished Atlas and he's got it on his back. You know, he's got a lot of stamina. Unlike those things where every, every God that they created, every superhero or supervillain, everybody has their weakness. And you know what the thing is? In all of those situations, man has given himself the ability somewhat to control that God. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, Superman, as strong as he is, he's still at the disposal of the guy with the pen, right? You wonder why they make things like Batman versus Superman? I know there's a lot of Batman fans out here. You're just plum crazy, okay? But here's the thing. Listen to me. Even in that, we see the the fight, the war against God. It's like man has created their own little God... But they want their they want man, just regular man, to be able to somehow be on equal status. It's incredible, isn't it? Dylan's down there like smiling. I know he's got all these arguments all the time. So in Exodus three fourteen, when Moses asked God, he says, Well, who shall I say? He says, yeah, You haven't even told me your name. Who shall I tell your people? who who sent me? And he says, "I am who I am." In John five or eight fifty eight, when the Pharisees were arguing with Jesus, and Jesus had told them, he says, "Before he says, before Abraham was, I am." That that I am means he is the eternal, self-existent God who has neither beginning nor end, who is perfect in himself and in all of his attributes. God has need of nothing or no one. He's perfect in himself. And listen, God doesn't create things that he's not lord over. Listen to, listen to this. And we also have this in Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We go back to that he is immutable. But if he's immutable, then his knowledge is infinite. His presence is infinite. Second part, God transcends space. God cannot be limited by space. Listen, he is creator and Lord over it. In Deuteronomy ten fourteen, it says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth, with all that is in it. I mean, if you read back in the in the Old Testament, and I know this has to probably be in, in the Kings, the writing of the Kings, but Israel is fighting with 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 an, an enemy, and and they and they're winning. Okay, now they're winning because God's with them. But they they fight him. I think first like in the valley, and they said, well, obviously their God is a God of the valley. Let's bring him up to the hills and let's fight up there. You know, we'll pray that, Well, God wins again, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, their God's not only God of the valley, but he's God of the hills. I mean, the crazy thing is these different groups would all have gods of valleys and gods of hills. So you've got gods over each of these things. Even today, do you all know what the God of the Muslims, you know what he's God over? Anybody know? The moon? He's called the moon god. Isn't that right, Paul? Really? The moon? That's the best you could come up with. Listen, the heaven, heaven, and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, and also the earth with all that is in it. Everything about the heaven and the highest heavens, and everything that the Lord has, God is Lord over it. In First Kings eight twenty seven, he says, "Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens." cannot contain you how much less this temple which i have built this is solomon's prayer he had built the temple of the lord he's dedicating it to god and in and, and solomon the wisest man who ever lived outside of christ according to scripture he says the heaven let me say it again and the heavens of heavens i mean it's like you've got all these heavens and then there's this overarching heaven and he says all of that can't contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. I mean, they're, they're going to build a house for the Lord. And if you ever go read there when he's building a house for the Lord, at the same time he's, he's building his own house. He spends around seven or eight years on the Lord's house. He spends like 13 or 14 on his own. His house is way bigger than the Lord's. Now, it was built according to dimensions God had given how to build the tabernacle. But Solomon came to the realization, the heaven of heavens can't even contain you, and yet I've built this house for you to dwell in. Now what's incredible about that is that God can't be contained in the heaven of heavens. But yet, listen to this. He dwells in every believer in his fullness. That should have Selah after it. God can't be contained in all of his creation. And yet, he dwells in his fullness. In Romans 8, 9-11, he basically says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his. I mean, then he talks about how the believers, that the Spirit of the Lord dwells in them. Ephesians 3.17 says, Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. My question is, do you believe that today, that in, that in, where God is present everywhere, the God fully dwells in you? See, this is one of those parts where I'm thinking of things after I'm you know going back over this. It does not mean that God is working the same proportionally in everybody's life and in every part of the world, but where God is, all of God is. And then we have difficult passages where he says, Pray for more of the Spirit. Can't even get into that. It's beyond me right now. Just thought I'd throw it out there to throw everybody else off with me. So with all that being said, what does the truth of God's omnipresence mean? And, And how does it affect us? You know, when people are praying for revivals, I don't know who I heard say this, might have been Paul Washer, and I'm probably going to give a kind of a quote. But when people are praying for revival, do you know what the most awesome and fearful thing about praying that prayer is? It's when God shows up. Now you say, well, Ron, I thought he was everywhere. Yes, he's everywhere, but proportionately. But when God shows up in a way that he manifests, himself in ways of how we've been praying for revival, I will tell you this, it will put a fear in people. It'll drive people to their knees. It'll cause people to truly repent. See, we we say, we pray, God, we want more of you, God. We want you to work in our midst. But I promise you that when God shows up, it will send a fear in everybody. Everybody. Now, for the unbeliever, the omnipresence of God, it puts a fear in him, but what does it do to him? He tries to run, and he tries to hide, doesn't he? We're going to see here in a moment that's it's pretty futile to try to do that. But for the believer... Do you remember when, when God caused you to be alive? All of a sudden your eyes were open to what you were? And you know, the truth of the matter is, that's just the beginning of when you start realizing I'm a sinner. And you realize I was in big trouble. Do you remember that day? I remember sitting in a church that preaches a false doctrine. I don't remember what the sermon was, but the guy before he sat down, I do believe this was of God. The man turned and looked at everybody and he said, if God was to come for you today, where would you go? Folks, I didn't go there that day to get enlightened. I didn't go there that day to find the Lord. I thought these people were crazy. So you're thinking, why were you there? That makes you even crazier. Well, it was her fault. That's why I was there. But you see, on that day, and Paul talked about this last Sunday. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When you realize there's a God dealing with you. That there's a God who knows everything about you. That there's a God that no matter what you try to do to escape him, there's no escaping God. Anybody remember the story of Jonah? Jonah. Jonah ran. He got on a boat. Jonah went so far when they said, look, tell us your occupation. What's your job? I'm a preacher of the Lord. I'm a prophet. It's my fault. I can tell you. They, they said, no, we're not going to kill you. He's telling them, throw me overboard. Do you know what Jonah is doing? Jonah wants so badly to not go and preach to Nineveh that he says, throw me in the ocean. I'll die. He's saying, I will die before I'll go to Nineveh. You can't escape the presence of the Lord because God is all knowing and He'd already talked to a fish in eternity. And He said, when Jonah goes overboard, go get him. Took Jonah three days to come to Himself. Probably not the quickest learner, is He? Folks, you cannot. You cannot outrun the Lord. If you got your Bibles open, and I hope you do. I know I've just been kind of going around, and I got to be honest. Preaching on the attributes of God is—it's tough. It takes a lot of writing and thinking and meditating. And but here's the passage I really want to get to us today, in Psalms 139 verses 7 through 12. Before I get there, I need to finish my what it does for the believer. Yes, believer, there is a fear when God shows up, but you know what it causes you to do? It causes you to run to God. It causes you to kneel before him. It causes you to cling to him. That's what the omnipresent. That's what that's what that fear does for the believer. So in Psalms 139, 7 through 12, this, this, this little passage here is talking about the omnipresence of God, and he asks two questions there in verse 7, and he says, where can I go from your spirit? He says, or where can I flee from your presence? Now, that's the question. Now, as we go through this, I want to look at this from two aspects. I want to look at it from the aspect of a believer, and I want to look at it as from the aspect of an unbeliever. Because to one, it brings great comfort, and to the other, it's going to bring great fear and terror. Where can I go from your spirit? Well, if God is fully everywhere, and the heaven of heavens can't contain him, there's nowhere you can go. There's nowhere you can flee from the presence of God. I mean, we see little glimpses of this that God teaches us in life. When you see a little baby starting to walk. You know, look at Benjamin. You got uh, Ransom back there. When, when they When they start doing things that they're not supposed to do, and you say, hey, and they turn and they're like, you know, doing this number. Like, like they're going to get away from anybody. But I mean, in their mind, they are going with all light speed trying to get away, right? Well, folks, it's not even to be compared how much more God is present over our actions like that. So the question is, where can I go from your Spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? There's nowhere. Um, there's for the righteous. There's great comfort in knowing this: that wherever we are, and wherever He leads, He's always present. Once again, for the sinner, it's going to bring it's going to bring fear. It's always going to bring dread. He asks questions. He says, "If I ascend into heaven, you're there." He, he didn't say, "If I go there, you, you find me." He says. You're already there. And he says, and if I send into, or if I make my bed in hell or Sheol, he says, behold, you are there. Now, wrap your mind around that one. Yes, folks, even the presence of God is in hell. We just don't even think like that, do we? What is he saying? There's nowhere too high. Listen, if the heaven of heavens can't contain him and you make it to there, guess what? Guess who's waiting on you? God is already there. Now, you go to the, the bottom of the pit. So what's he saying? There's no place. There's no place too high. There's no place too low. God is there. Now, listen to me. To the believer, it doesn't matter where you, you know... Sometimes believers can, I'll just use this for a high point. Believers can get exalted, can't they? They can. And guess what? God's there. He's waiting on them. He's there. There's no place too high and there's no place too low that God isn't already there to watch over you. But for the sinner who's trying to run from God, there's no place too high that you can escape, God, and there's no place too low that you can hide from him there. It cannot happen. In verse 9, he says, If I take the wings of the morning, and what he's talking about there, you, you, anybody ever been up early enough and you see that when the, the crack of dawn happens, I mean, it's like you can see the glow, and then all of a sudden when that when the sun just first pops up, those rays, I mean, we're talking about light speed. What, what the writer's actually talking about here is if, if I could go as fast as those beaming rays of the morning light as soon as they hit, if I could go that fast, and then, and if it would take me, basically, he's saying, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. He's saying, if I could go as fast and as far away, God is there. God is there. His spirit is there. God is spirit. He's there. His presence is there. And he already knows what you were going to do. He said, if I could do that, God is there. I'm going to skip verse 10 for a moment. In verses 11 and 12, he says, if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. He said, Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For the believer, there's times that sometimes due to sin, we just get... We're just in a in a place of a dark place. I hear people say. Sometimes it's not from sin. Sometimes it's from trials. It's from tragedies in your life. I mean, just one like 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 Job. I mean, Job was in a dark place, wasn't he? I mean, everything was just stripped of him. I mean, almost everything he had, it was just taken. I mean, he he was his body was just riddled with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. His, his friends came and they were just basically accusing him. It was really by no doing of Job. But, but here's the thing: there, when we get in those places, do we not say, Well, God doesn't even see where I'm at? God says, The night and the day, they're both alike to me. God doesn't need light to see, God is light. He is the light. We just get this manifestation of it so we can understand what the difference between light and darkness is. We can comprehend it somehow. So if you're, if you're in sin, if you, if you chose to walk contrary to the Lord and you get in this dark place, guess what? You're not hiding anything from God. There's nothing hidden. Have you ever noticed how bad things, usually people wait for night to do all these things? See, places people go, they're always kind of in smoky, dark rooms and such. That's the way it's usually done. It's either done in darkness or it's done where we think everybody's there's nobody around me. And I can do this in this type of darkness. And God says, I see every bit of it. There's nothing hid. So no matter how dark a place we may be in, whether it's from our own sin or tragedy, God's there if you're an unbeliever and you think you can just you know, say the right words when you need to, but you're just going to indulge in a sinful lifestyle, no remorse, no repentance, I promise you this, everything you are doing, everything you have done, and everything you're going to do, God knows it in the fullest detail because he's completely and fully present even in your life. But in verse 10, I'm going to back up to there again. This brings us great comfort. He's talking about, you know, no place too high, no place too low. If I could go as far and as fast away. And he's talking about the darkness and all these. And it says, in all these places, it says, even there, and listen to this, even there your hand shall lead me. Church, do you believe that today? Justin, oh, if you haven't listened to this, go back and look on our Facebook page or get on our website and go go listen to that sermon if you didn't hear it, Justin preached on anxiety. go listen to that if you listen to it, listen to it again how How often do we let fears control us fears of a lot of times, most of the time, a lot of things is just from, it's not what's actually going on, but what we are afraid might go on. We have people in panic over America. Some of it I find very humorous. The People, it's not very humorous, but, you know, they're, the people when Trump was voted in, they, they have what they call it. I'm sad. I got to. Go have a group hug for a week or something. I don't know. They're in panic because you know Trump is going to destroy everything. Listen, Trump can't no more destroy anything than Obama could. They can only do what God's allowed them to do. That's it, folks. (laughs) We'll get into that one next time when God is uh, all powerful. They can only do those things, okay? But here's the thing: we fear things. We fear what about my job? You know, what, what if I lose my job? What if this happens? We hear people talking about, you know, getting married and having children. They're afraid of the future, you know, this and that. Church, that's, that's not the way the people of God live life. That's not the way the people of God live life. You see, God says, even there, he says, your hand shall lead me. You know what he's saying? God is going to take you by the hand. He's going to lead you through that. You go back and read the 23rd Psalm when he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When those shepherds would lead those sheep through those those mountainous areas, there were times that that shepherd had to get them from this place to that place. And the only way to get there, they had to go through a valley. And, and it talks about the shadows of death. There was, there was wolves, there was you know, uh, predators down there. There was, you know, a lot of things. But basically what God's saying is, I'm going to take you by the hand. And I'm going to lead you through there. See, God has not left you. God is present fully in your life. He says, and your right hand shall hold me. He's going to pick you up. You remember when Jesus says, no man shall pluck you out of my hand. And he says, and, 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 and me and you, he's, we're in the Father's hand, and no man will be able to get you out of my Father's hand. It's amazing how we, we reduce God to being like us. I always use the example of us holding a newborn baby and how that baby, you know, really can't just jump out of my arms or nothing, even if they choose to. They can't do it. Now I have fell, and I was swinging Kaylee around. She's a baby, and she slipped out, and I threw her across the kitchen. But I'm not God, right? <laughs> that was pretty bad. <laughs> she survived. It's a bad thing when you feel them slipping, and you've got a lot of that force. That been you know centrifugal force going, and you're like, ugh. And she launched pretty good, but God doesn't do that. Folks, these things for us, they give us great comfort. They should give every believer comfort because God is present. Well, Ron, what about, what about guys like Jim Elliott and the missionaries down there? Do you not understand that your life belongs to God? And even when we don't understand, we should be always willing Our life should be daily a living sacrifice. Meaning this, that even if I have to die for the cause of Christ, I want to do it joyfully. I want to do it in a manner that is glorifying God. Because even in that... Man, when you go read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you read those things, and there's one that uh, the group, uh, DC Talk or whoever... It's called Jesus Freaks. It's more modern day. Some of it's old, but more modern day. Martyrs. And I mean, people singing songs. There was I read about one where there was two girls, and it was in the Middle East somewhere. I mean, uh, the Far East. They were like from China. And, they're, and, and, and they call these girls in. They're telling them, you, just, you recant. You deny Christ. And they wouldn't do it. They bring in their pastor. And he turned on them. He turned on them. You know what they did right before they killed him? They said, Pastor, first of all, we forgive you for what you're doing. And second, we thank you for what you taught us about trusting in God. You can't do that unless God is present with you. You can't do that. And even in death, they did it with joy, and they glorified the Lord. So what I'm telling you is this. There is nothing for the believer to fear, because our God not only knows everything, but he is present everywhere in his fullness. Jesus, when he was about to be crucified, and he says, don't you know I have authority to do this or that? He says, you don't have any authority unless I give it to you. You can't even crucify me unless I allow you to do it. So where does this leave us? At the end of the book of Matthew, in chapter 28. Jesus has been crucified, his disciples, everybody was in utter confusion. Confusion. You know, you go to Luke, and you read about the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, and and, and Jesus walks that seven-mile journey with them, and he's just opening up the Scriptures to them. I mean, they're telling him, he says, we thought this would have been the Messiah, but they've crucified him, and it's three days later, and some women have told us that he's, he's not in the tomb, and we just don't even know what's going on. I mean, they are in utter confusion and chaos. And Jesus says... Don't you understand the scriptures? And he just starts opening them up. He's showing them that this is all God's plan. And then they get to the where they're going, and he acts like he's going to go on. They invite him to eat. He takes the bread and he blesses it, and he banished out of their sight. And they said, "Did not our hearts burn within us when he walked with us and he talked with us in the way? How much do you want to know God?" How much is God in your life? What are you letting in there that's crowding God out? Now, I know that sounds odd. I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. But how much do you hunger and you thirst for God as compared to the things that you spend all your time doing? How much do you... You can know as much of God as you want to know. And look what he says here. Matthew 28, I'll begin in verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And you go to other places, he he rebuked them, got on to them for their doubt. And then in verse 18, listen, it says, Jesus came and he spoke to them. Now listen to what he's saying. All authorities has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now remember, he's Lord over it, right? But here's what's happening. The Father is handing all authority, all judgment over to the Son and in all authority, the Son is saying this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you got to go tell the world about me. You've got to teach people about me when I convert them. You preach it, I'll convert them. You make disciples, you teach them to do what? To do these same things. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's he doing? You baptize them that they identify with me. That their life is no longer about that, but it, their life is in me. I'm, I They identify as being my followers. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Now listen to this. And lo, I am with you always. So my question to you right now, church, is this. Is there ever a time... That God is not present with you. He says, I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. Now people will say, I mean, you get people that argue about stuff all the time. Well, he's just talking to the eleven. Well, I can read retold Paul, I'm, I'm with you. On a couple different occasions. Don't worry, Paul, I'm with you. And I'll just tell you this. This applies to you and I today. God is with you Always. To the end of the age. That's how long God is with you. He is present with you right now. He's present with us as a group right now. It goes back to. I'll end with Isaiah 46. I'll just read it. Listen to what he says. Isaiah forty six, five through five through ten, he says, and to whom will you liken me? Some in some versions he says, To whom will you compare me? He's saying, Who are you going to say is like me? And and to whom will you liken me and make me equal? And compare me that we should be alike. What God are you going to compare and say, if you ever say, well, this, this is kind of like God, then you need to repent. They, speaking of the people who build idols, he said they lavish gold out of the bag, they weigh silver on the scales, they hire a goldsmith, and he makes it a god. They have to build their god. They prostrate them, they, they spread themselves out, yes, and they worship. They Listen, they bear it on their shoulder and they carry it. Do you know why they have to carry it? Because their God can't walk. And they set it in its place, and it stands. And from its place it shall not move. You remember reading the story when the Philistines had got the Ark of God, and they put it in the house of their gods? Well, their God was Dagon, and they put the Ark of the Covenant in there, and they come in there, and old Dagon had fell off and broke his arms off. (laughs) Quite a God, right? I mean something in there ought to just click, you would think. He says, though one cries out to it, it, it cannot answer. And it can't save him out of his trouble. He says, Remember this and show yourselves men. It's time to grow up, church. It's time it's time to, to, to see our God for who he is. And let's get rid of the false idols in our lives. He says, Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. Now listen. For I am for I am God, and there is no other. there is no other God. Declaring the end from the beginning, God can do that in infinite, in perfect detail. And from ancient times things that are not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do, all my pleasure worship team if you want to come father this morning i want to just bow before you god and just thank you for even as i even as i try to teach on this god i i feel so overwhelmed i feel very small but god let this reality sink into our hearts god you're here you are always present with us You're the one that leads us. Even through the hard things, the things that we must go through, God, you lead us. You take us by the hand. You even carry us, God, through those times. It is only in your strength that that we're able to do any of these things. So, Father, I pray today, God, that that this would just fill our hearts. I want to pray this morning that if any here don't know you, God, you're convicting them. God, break them down. Break them down, Lord, and and, and take that heart of stone out and give them that heart of flesh. God, that they may know Christ and be saved from their sins. In Jesus' name, amen.